Support for Innovation Hub comes from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, working to unleash the immune system's power to fight cancer and help develop promising new therapies. Videos, white papers, and patient stories are available at discovercarebelieve.org. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. cambridgesavings.com/csb1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In the 80s, a young guy named Brewster Kale started working in an industry that was getting very hot. And in the 90s, he sold a couple businesses to some up-and-coming companies. One of those companies had only gone online four years before, but I think you could safely say that things kind of worked out. It was called Amazon. But Brewster Kale didn't get paid by Amazon in cash. He got paid in stock. Again, kind of worked out. What Brewster Kale went on to do, though, after he sold his businesses, was unusual. He decided he wanted to be a librarian actually the librarian of the internet. For about 20 years, Kale has been trying to collect web pages. So we archive the full World Wide Web every two months. We now have 1,000 librarians guiding how we do that. It's for, available for free on archive.org, which is pretty neat. The motivation behind this, though, only incidentally has to do with technology. For example, he's working to digitize one to two million books a year. But why? Facts matter. I think especially in this last election cycle, we found that people were just making stuff up and passing it off as true. And facts matter. Truth matters. Referencing things matters. Remembering when we have candidates uh, going and saying, I never said that. Well, yes, they did. How do you go and make that easily and smoothly available? It's by archiving things like television, radio broadcasts, making it searchable, referenceable. And so it's It isn't something that you can just paper over. Of course, politicians have been shifting and shading their positions for a long time, and Kale wants the Internet Archive to be around for lots more political cycles. He worries that we're getting away from the early dreams that he and other pioneers had for the web, that it would be a place of connections and sharing knowledge, and that instead it's become a place in which knowledge is uncertain and under attack. When President Trump was running for office, he said in a speech about terrorists doing their recruiting and communicating online that, quote, we're losing a lot of people because of the Internet and we have to do something. And he spoke about, quote, maybe in certain areas, closing the Internet up in some way. I asked Kale if the president's suggestion, this idea of closing up the Internet, if that could really happen. That can absolutely happen. So in... Uh, the Internet Archive, which is this rich materials, you know, millions of books, I don't know, is blocked to everyone in China right now. The Chinese government said that there was some couple of videos that uh, somebody had posted on the Internet Archive that they didn't want to have available, so they blocked everything. Uh, Russia has blocked and unblocked the Internet Archive over time. Right now, I believe Turkey is blocking uh, the Internet Archive. Okay, so governments have tremendous power to do the, to use a kind of on-off switch here. Yes, absolutely. And we'll see whether uh, the United States grows into that pattern. At this point, there's been 
kind of First Amendment uh, that has really been strongly adhered to, freedom of the press. But Trump, um, as you were quoting, has mocked freedom of the press and uh, even jokingly talked of killing journalists. He hated them so much. So I think we may be coming into a fairly different time. We don't know what's going to happen. All we can tell is what it is that's been stated repeatedly by the officials that are taking over in Washington. So one of the steps that you took uh, very soon after the election was to talk about backing up the Internet Archive in Canada. Why? So when Trump was elected president, we woke up and thought, oh, well, that's a bit of a surprise. The polls predicted something else. We went back to the television archive. We've been archiving all of television and political ads and et cetera. And we went and searched to find what has he said about the internet and freedom of the press. And what we found were some shocking statements. Really, we don't know what's going to happen, but we said, well, we should at least take him at his word. And since the Internet Archive thinks long-term, if we're trying to build the Library of Alexandria version 2, let's learn from version 1, which is best known for, well, not being here anymore. So the idea of, of taking preservation of our information is very seriously. And we thought about it, and we said, well, we have it in two locations, but both are in the Bay Area. We have a partial copy in Alexandria, Egypt, really, and also in Amsterdam, but those are partial copies. So he said, why don't we go and make a full copy in another country? And we had been working with Canada about doing partial copy of everything digitized from them. We said, why don't we just ramp that up to be a full copy? Mm. So we've been in conversation with the University of Alberta and Toronto, and it's going great. I imagine there are people who have built websites in the past, uh, who have been mentioned on them, who want part of their history to disappear. You know, maybe they're ashamed of something they did. They think, oh, gosh, you know, I was 18. uh, I shouldn't have put that online. Do you think people have a right to, I don't know, make a mistake, do something and have it disappear? Certainly private citizens are often using the internet for things that aren't meant for the ages. So if, um, and so we get uh, takedown requests from the uh, Wayback Machine all the hmm. time. So if people send to info at archive.org, um, then we'll take things out of the Wayback Machine. And that seems to be a big issue. Hmm. Um, there are some entities like, you know, should politicians right. or should large corporations or should the government websites be able to do this? Some of that's a little bit up for grabs, but right now, uh, a lot of these are taken down. Well, and I was going to say, and we, we have seen efforts by governments, including our government, to retroactively kind of polish things up and make it seem like, you know, if you if you sort of go back to a previous press release or something, that things weren't exactly the way they, they kind of <laughs> said they were. Oh, sure. Yes. It's the Orwellian uh, idea of going back and, and changing past press releases actually happen. There's one that uh, was pointed out by one of our users was uh, George W. Bush standing on an aircraft carrier saying mission accomplished. And the headline read, combat operations in Iraq have ceased. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks later, they changed it to say major combat operations huh. have ceased. So that seems pretty Orwellian. But then a couple months after that, the whole press release disappeared off their website completely. So the only record of it was actually on archive.org's Wayback Machine. I can't even tell you which is worse, changing the past or deleting the past. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller talking with Brewster Kale, who many people think of as the Internet's librarian. So I have to ask you in this context about 
the rise of fake news, which we have seen so much of in the past year. And all indications are we're going to see it far into the future because, you know, you've got um, 2017 is, a, is, you know, we've got a lot of elections coming up in different countries and the, the sort of... Um, uh, interest in pumping out fake news to discredit one candidate or another is certainly going to be there. What have you thought? Like, here you are, you've been involved with the web for a long, long time, and and you see this kind of just, it's information, but it's fake information and people are believing it. And like, what have you made of this as it's happened over the past, let's say, 12 months? Oh, it feels tragic, doesn't it? Uh, we have plenty of blame to go around. Let me let me share some of, of my favorite complaints. Twitter. Somebody decided 140 characters, and 140 characters is a headline. So all we have is people blurting headlines with no substantial anything to back it up. And we had a whole campaign largely by, based on shouting headlines. Somebody came up with 140 characters. They could have made it 500 words. And I think the world... Uh, it would be a very different place and a better place if we were to change some of these these things that we look back on and go and say, that was a mistake. There's uh, the trending news that is all AI based on what you're interested right, in on Facebook. Right. Well, that's been that's been covered. But let's look a little deeper. We've conned almost everybody into turning to their screens to answer the questions that we've basically said, the library is on your screen. You can go and find anything you want. Just go to Google. It turns out that's not true. Almost all the 20th century's books magazines, newspapers are not online. So if you wanted to go and find out and cite something for real, say you're a Wikipedian, say you're a journalist, you, you're going to go to something that you can find online. Right. You're not going to go back to a library. Right. So we librarians have failed as well to make all of the treasures in our libraries available to this next generation. So we've got to fix that pronto. How much money is there and like getting out all the microfilm. I mean, I remember being in college and like looking at microfilm of old newspapers. But that's that's a process. About you need a hundred million dollars. A hundred million dollars, did you say? Uh, all that's it. To be able to build a Yale, a Princeton, or a Boston Public Library class library that would be available to all, maybe some of it through lending or some kind of restrictions mm-hmm. and things like that, is about one hundred million dollars one-time cost. So we're now uh, digitizing a thousand books a day, and we're starting to deal with much more on the modern books. But we would really like partners to be able to get that built, say, in the next couple of years, so that people have access, easy access, to all the, say, nonfiction material, so they can cite their Wikipedia articles on something real, and not just bouncing around and whatever people have to happen to have put in a blog. Can you imagine, you've talked a lot about the library at Alexandria. Can you imagine um, that the Internet Archive will be around in, I don't know, a thousand years? The Internet Archive, hopefully, in some vestige, will be around in a thousand years. What happens to libraries is they're burned. They're, they're destroyed, and they're generally destroyed by governments. They don't want the old stuff around. Often, you know, a hundred years later, they're sorry, and they try to uh, put it back together again, but it's destroyed. Mm-hmm. So that will happen to the Internet Archive at some point, um, hopefully not soon, but at, at some point. So let's design for it. If they'd made another copy of the Library of Alexandria and put it in India or China... We'd have the other works mm. of Aristotle, mm. the other plays of Euripides. Mm. It would be fantastic. But we don't. They didn't make a copy. Mm. I think 
a lot of people have uh, asked this question, but as people go, spend more and more of their lives online, what do you think should happen to like little libraries that are in every town? Obviously, there's big libraries like the New York Public Library. There's big, you know, lots and lots of libraries in in L.A. and in Houston and all over the place. Um, what should happen to libraries, which there's so many of? Oh, they should stay and grow. I love the quirky little libraries that have their own points of view. And how can they grow in this sort of winner-takes-all, everything's going to be from Amazon kind of world? Let's deliver the best we have to offer to anybody curious enough to want to have access to it. And let's do it in lots of different ways. Let's not spend less on libraries. Let's spend it differently. Mm. Because I don't think we're spending the $12 billion a year we spend on libraries all that well. Mm. We're ending up with these databases that these libraries are subscribing to, and they're just becoming customer service departments or just handling people that just want a, a warm place to be on the Internet. We can do so much more with this infrastructure. You know, a while back we talked on this show to a boy uh, who – young boy, and um, he had been born with a hand that had limited mobility, and so – he went to his local public library in Delaware, I think, and um, there was a 3D printer, and he printed himself a new hand with a lot more mobility. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was like an, a fascinating thing that could happen at a library. Libraries, I think, are, are interesting. Uh, public libraries, mostly what you're talking about now, um, by going and bringing... Uh, much more resources than you can have in your house, more than you can get through your laptop. What What's the big screen experience? What's that 3D printer? What's the, because you might have reference librarians on tap. They also have a special role in the copyright regime where we're allowed to go and expected to preserve and provide enduring access to materials, some of which are in print, but a lot of which are no longer in print. If you wanted to get to a newspaper, not in the sense of today's newspaper, but last week's, last month's, last year's, last decades, that's what libraries are are kind of essential for. Mm -hmm. So let's go and build on that in the digital era. If we don't put the best we have to offer within reach of our children, we're going to get the generation we deserve. And what's on the Internet isn't good enough. It's thin. Anything we know well, yeah, there may be a Wikipedia article. Um, maybe there's some random blog post, but the a lot of the background materials, the debates, the whole 20th century really is missing. Hmm. And if we don't educate people on the lessons of the 20th century, we could end up in trouble. Brewster Kale is founder of the Internet Archive, a nonprofit digital library. Brewster, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kara. We've got more about how the Internet Archive works and about their decision to back up their work in Canada. That's at innovationhub.org. <laughs> 